Welcome. To Arcade Audio. and welcome to the season finale of Shared History. My history has a first name. It's A-R-E-D. <laughs> My history has a second name. It's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. Wow. Oh, I love to read it every day. And if you ask me why, I'll say because history has a way of repeating itself sometimes. Don't you agree, Natalie? <laughs> I, I do. Oh my goodness. I am without speech. I am speechless. <laughs> you were not ready for that. I was you? not ready for that. Oh, what a perfect finale tagline. That was... I also realized halfway through, I was like, well, I have no, I have no clue how to wrap this. Well, and I was like, well, now I'm not going to cut you off because clearly this is, you're going to do the whole song. Wow. Well, First two. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest because you probably heard him trying to stifle a chuckle at that beautiful <laughs> rendition of the Shared History theme song, uh, Work in Progress. And that, our, our guest for today's finale is... An actor and improviser, friend of ours, but one with, let's call it, extensive Chicago tourism experience. And that is our dear friend, Ooh. and now your dear friend, Jim Vizella. Hi, dear friends. I'm happy to be on Shh, History and Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> sell it i you know i sell it uh you're buying it uh, it's uh it's an honor to be here i've been looking forward to this for a while oh jim oh jim 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 sweet jim We've oh cast 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 for Kes. so long <laughs> friends it's it is the season finale and so all of us are enjoying a delicious Bud Light. Each and every one of us are drinking a delicious mm -hmm. Bud Light. <laughs> Two of us are, well, I guess actually one of us is enjoying a, specifically a Chicago beer because of the theme of this episode. But Jim's also fits the theme and Cass's is a Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Jim, before we dig in, I got to ask you, I know that you yes. love the love of the history. Mm -hmm. what is your favorite area of history like what fascinates you the most ooh, 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 ooh. uh you know what i mean uh, is, is it giving it away by me talking about no, uh, the city that i love uh no i am i'm a big i got into history originally uh when it came to like wars right as a young kid growing up you're like ooh, the history of wars are very interesting then you eventually realize what's the most interesting when you get older is 
what goes on before and after them. So as you get older, it's no longer about the, oh, cool, these machines were created, and now it goes into like the rebuilding of societies and, and the agreements and the things that like have subtle nuances and whatnot, uh, which makes this very interesting going into our topic today. It makes me very excited because there's a bunch of things that happened prior to this that almost inadvertently led to this happening in this location. Context. I love it. Context um, is my favorite part of history. Agreed. 100%. Some tasty, tasty context. We can just like dig right in then. Because Natalie, you're gonna start us off, correct? I am. I'm gonna give us a little bit of that waterfall. context. Yes. We're doing the waterfall again as we as we do for our finales. Um, usually we pick kind of a broad topic and we do kind of like beginning, middle, end. This has got kind of a specific topic, so it's pretty much going chronologically, but it's gonna goof around a bit. But also, it's a, it, topic? it's a it's oh, a it's a topic. Well, I was just gonna say also it's a topic that uh, Jim and I are nerds about, and Cass Cass knows nothing. So, uh, so, so, so basically, is everyone's like, oh, so it's not about Iowa. So it, yeah, so it's not about Iowa. Oh, it's it's about Chicago. Specifically, we want to tell you about the World's Fair. Which one? Because Chicago's had two of them. How many has Des Moines had? Oh, we have a state fair <laughs> and a musical about it. Two wait, wait. So, it. like, you have you have four cities, but zero World's Fairs. That's so, so. weird. Wild. <laughs> uh, this is this is when it's really good that we're recording through Zoom because Jim would have just gotten punched in the nose. <laughs> Also good because Jim Jim has Malort and said that he wished we had someone. I was like, I'm glad that I can't take that Malort from you, sir. But it's and a that's, baby. that's more Chicago ness right there. If y'all don't know about Malort, you've never had a friend in Chicago try to force you to take a shot. You've never but, been hazed by a friend in Chicago, but it's not about it's that. Not about Malort. No. Today we're gonna tell you about the eighteen ninety-three World's Columbian Exposition which was in Chicago. It's when people say it's Chicago's World's Fair, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that most of the time they're talking about the 1893 and not the 1933 because I feel like nobody talks about the century of progress. <laughs> so before we dig into the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, some fun fair history and context. Tasty, tasty. Part of the appeal of having the fair was to kind of bring people together. In the 1890s, I don't know if you know what was going on, but it was the Industrial Revolution. Shit be popping off. Class tension was at like an all-time high. And back in 1851, London hosted the Crystal Palace exhibition, which says such a better name, that had like really just like brought folks together in a very unique way from across class lines. And so in America, 1890s, amidst this huge transformation at the behest of the Industrial Revolution, people people just needed to come together because the Industrial Revolution exploded the economy and with it, U.S. urban populations like 
side fact from 1870 to 1920 the U the united states urban population went from under 10 million people living in urban areas to more than 54 million people living in urban areas and then also like the new technology mm. if you will of the industrial evolution evolution revolution meant that like average workers had more free time and more income and then there was also like the rise of consumerism and basically the industrial revolution begot an entertainment revolution in america because people had a little bit more time to do things because they had machines that were helping them do things at work and at home in 1876 was actually when the first world's fair in america was that one was in philadelphia it's in 1876, so presumably, to, I didn't research that one because it's not about it, but presumably it was to celebrate the, the centennial of, centennial, is that right? A hundred yeah. century? Yeah. Centennial, yeah. Uh, the centennial of the U.S., but it was a financial failure. And despite that, about a you decade... Know what we should do? Let's have another one! Yeah, despite that, about a decade <laughs> later, they were like, give us another one! Um... <laughs> This one to honor the 400th anniversary of Columbus's landing. Cue heavy sigh. <laughs> uh, I, I, like Natalie said, I knew nothing about the World's Fair. I knew that it existed and that like they've got a star on the Chicago flag for it. It was a big deal. I knew the basic stuff about it. But then looking into it deeper, I was like, oof. Oh, fuck. This whole entire thing was for Christopher. The, the thing that makes it like completely wild though is because it's not even the quad uh, centennial it was four 401 years after it because they had to push it back a year wait so seriously like, yeah it was 401 yeah. years <laughs> after so they missed it by a complete year hey you know what columbus missed a lot of shit too uh, he took credit for yeah. it anyway so but it's <laughs> oh no that's pretty accurate way to stay on theme yeah it's really on brand for for columbus so uh so how did chicago i know that i'm pretty sure that jim you're also going to talk about this but but how chicago got the fair they were not the only city that wanted it just like there are bids to host the olympics there are cities who are like, give me that sweet, sweet fair. Cast, you want to take... 2024. <laughs> I was going to say, Cast, do you want to take a guess at the other U.S. cities that Ooh. there are, there were four total that entered the bid. I think one of them being Chicago. So can you Chicago, guess the other three? It was how how many guesses do we give? Oh, yep. Oh, okay. Natalie, you guys can't see Natalie, but she didn't put, she's got four fingers up. She didn't put one down. So I just want to make sure I was right. Yeah, you said uh, New York, she, right? New York. Uh, I actually looked at this. What is it? Um, Philadelphia. Nah, they all they already shot their shot. I, I mean, they <laughs> fucked up. I figured maybe they'd be like, "Give us another chance." Uh, L.A. or San Francisco? Mm -mm. No, nope. I I don't know. What is it? It's D.C. and St. Louis. Ugh. Do you think St. Louis was still a little pissed off at us about uh, you know flipping those locks? I don't think that they've ever gotten over it. <laughs> for what for flipping flipping the direction of the river and sending all of our shit down to them yes how much chicago history do we have to give you oh <laughs> like all the history um, i know al capone hung out here 
I didn't even know that there's like shipwrecks in Lake Michigan until. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's and... World War II planes still in Lake Michigan, but that's for another time. The war was on a different continent. What are you guys doing? They did the training at a Navy pier. Yeah, is that why they call it Navy pier? You know what? That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I know y'all have a cool flag, but that's it. well they flipped they they switched the direction that the chicago river flowed so Mm -hmm. that rather than you know stopping dumping shit and off cuts of of meat and Mm -hmm. everything into the river they they were like man we're getting sick all the time so they they built the locks so that they could reverse the flow of the river and send all that shit downstream to st louis (laughs) And, and, and if you no. sat there and wondered, what is the most Chicago way that we could have done this? St. Louis was actually going to bring it to the courts uh, to put a halt on the locks. And in the middle of the night, Chicago went, oops, we opened it. Can't go back now. Yep. <laughs> That's the most Chicago thing ever. It, it's where Daly sat there and got the idea from Bigsfield. Oh, if we, uh, if we put giant X's in the runway, they can't land. Wait. Yeah. Oh, I was like, wait, wait what? When did they do the locks thing? You said daily. I was thinking, you know, oh, yeah, it's, no, not the locks is it's, it's not, not about, about... <laughs> you know what? For once, this is a story about Chicago that has nothing to do with a daily. So <laughs> let's yes. dig in. Yeah. So St. Louis, New York, D.C. and Chicago all entered the bid for the Columbian Exposi- uh, Exhibition. Uh, the decision went to Congress. Congress voted on it multiple times. It was a bidding war. There was a bunch of New York financiers who were like, we'll give this much money if it's in New York. And a bunch of Chicago financiers, entrepreneurs, and meatpacking titans, because that's what we have, uh, were like, we'll pay for all of it if it comes here or whatever. And then a Chicago banker, actually, Lyman Gage, at the like 11th hour, raised several million additional... Name. right. Raised several million additional dollars in a 24-hour period and finally blew past New York's final offer. So he was like, ha fingers in the air. The middle suck ones. It, suck it, Rockefeller. Which, uh, which New York was actually so pissed off about this, by the way, uh, that in 1893, uh, God, the name's escaping me, Dana? Uh, Charles A. Dana. Uh, so he was an editor for the New York Sun. Uh, he actually... <laughs> referred to us as windbags, uh, the windy city. Uh, so Chicago politicians and whatnot. So uh, New York, where people are like, where is it windy city? Is it because it's windy? It's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's windy. But we actually got it because they referred to the Chicago politicians as windbags. And is that Charles A. Dana I... actually wrote that in. I didn't know it was the windbag thing. I heard someone was like, it's because the politicians like blow hot are... air or whatever. Yeah, like breezy, windy, going all around. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Nope. I like the windbag thing better. It comes that comes to windbag, and then also another reason why Chicago was really eager to host the fair was to show the world that Chicago had risen from the literal ashes of the Great Chicago Fire in 1871 and was still a great and important city. And my favorite people don't seem to know this story behind a Chicago nickname is that that is why Chicago is the second city. It's not that we are second to New York or something. It's that we are the, it is current Chicago is the second Chicago. They had to rebuild the whole dang city. Like a phoenix from the ashes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) I I am not attacked 
Cass, I do not feel attacked at all. <laughs> I'm gonna go to the local jewels now. <laughs> Favorite act of Dennehy. Favorite drink of duels. Bears, hawks, socks, bulls. Anyway. Uh, Jim, I haven't heard your beautiful voice in so long that like aw. sometimes it slips real hard Chicago and I love it so much. <laughs> I feel like halfway through this entire episode about Chicago history, it's just gotta be like the bears, the balls. Uh, anybody have the most recent sausage? Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> The most oh, recent sausage? No sidetrack this episode. Oh boy. We always do in the finales. Uh, oh, or just yeah. every episode. Uh, <laughs> Um, so then I'm just, I want to get us to, I want to get us to Jim's section so that he can enlighten us. Uh, ultimately, all the cities, st- despite the fact that Chicago had raised the most money, made their cases, presented, it was voted voted on by the U.S. House of Representatives multiple times until Chicago won by enough of a majority. And then also part of the case that they were making was that beyond the fact that they were like, look at all this money we're prepared to throw at this thing. Also, they argued that it was the perfect location. One representative argued that the most important qualities for a world's fair were, quote, abundant supplies of good air and pure water, ample space, accommodations and transportation for all exhibits and visitors. And it was argued that Chicago had a large amount of land around the city where there was, quote, not a house to buy and not a rock to blast. So we just had all this land that we could do that we could use versus like New York, you'd have to work around so much more or like buy up people's houses so that you could bulldoze them so that you could do the fair. And there was all this land around Chicago that they could use and it would still be so centrally located that anyone of any means from anywhere in the nation could easily get to it versus Mm -hmm. all the way out on the East Coast. So there's my context and my how we got the fair. Jim, you want to jump? You want to jump in, Jim? Um, I I suppose we can jump in because uh, the fair has uh, the fair has a ton to really just dive into in general. Uh, and Natalie, like so much good context. Mm. I was sitting here and eating it up. Um, some of the, some of the uh, some of the interesting things that I look into it, and I do look at just to further expand upon some of the context to give you an idea of when the World's Fair is. Everyone is, you know, you'll sit there and you'll understand. Like the Chicago Fire uh, was 1871. However, 28 years prior to that, Cass, this is beyond just Chicago history. What ended 28 years prior to the World's Fair? 1893. Minus 28. 1860s. Oh my god, it's like Civil War. Yeah. Oh my god, I did it! I got American history right! And (laughs) I did math! Oh my god, okay. So there was... No, stop. Jim, (laughs) I just did math. and I'm most impressed by the math. I gotta (laughs) know. And I just correctly called out something that happened in American history. So, listeners, if you're listening Cheers. and you're not driving, and Jim and Natalie take a drink. Oh my god, to me, to me, to you. Sorry, yeah. I got so excited. Yes, if I had a blue ribbon, I would give it to you. I think I just blew up my mic. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, 
So we had the Civil War, which already set America at complete, like, distress. And then Chicago had the Chicago Fire. And then, as Natalie alluded, with the Industrial Revolution, all of these problems, which ended up leading to the Haymarket Square bombing. Which, which that was in... How- oh, I was going to tell people we did an episode on Lucy Parsons. <laughs> but Haymarket was 1886. And Natalie talked a lot about the Haymarket massacre. Yeah. Riot in that episode. Also, can I just say that's the most excited anyone's ever been about the Civil War, and I just hate it. <laughs> I was like, wow, I got way too excited about that. <laughs> so, I mean, like, so following up with that, there was a lot of racial tension. There was a, there was a lot of immigration, a lot of violence. Uh, wow, racial people. tension in Chicago, the most yeah. segregated. You, you, you mean we would segregate with a highway? That's in the future. <sighs> <laughs> no, we just be segregated without the highway at this point. <laughs> this is good old-fashioned pre-highway segregation. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, All of these things led into it, and the one thing within Chicago was they wanted to find a way, and uh, this was a big reason for their push uh, for the fair, is to find a way to almost bring the city together and to bring people into the city to win this fair. So the team they put together, just like anything uh, when you're Olympic bidding, you're putting together your best architects, you're putting together your best thing, you put this plan together. Just like when you're planning Uh, a heist. Right? <laughs> but there's a twist. There uh, always is. is. Instead yeah. of exploding everything, you're building everything. <laughs> so to furthermore go, uh, there was, there was uh, in, in, in honor of your last season finale, being that that was about wrestling, I thought of something in my brain while I was thinking of all of this. It came down to New York and Chicago, and the three main players in New York were J.P. Morgan, William uh, uh, Woodford Astor, which is a hotel brand name, and then Cornelius Vanderbilt, versus Charles T. Yerkes, Marshall Field, and Cypress McCormick of the McCormick family. Uh, so those were three of the big names, and I thought of those three in a tag team-like wrestling match. <laughs> um, <laughs> With, with old-timey mustaches and top hats, and I thought uh, it, like it, it was going through my head. Cypress McCormick sounds like a wrestling name. Yeah. Sure. Let's do Cyrus McCormick. Let's do uh, Cyrus McCormick versus J.P. Morgan Celebrity Deathmatch style. MTV Celebrity Deathmatch style. Uh, he's going to chase him right out of there. Ah. Ah. Chase. Uh, you can ch- <laughs> Right? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. You got there. (laughs) J.P. Morgan Chase. So they won it. Chicago is super excited. But the number one thing that they needed to do before anything is find the land to go. So now that they've ended up winning the bid, they're like, where are we going to put it? Now that they've claimed that that we had all this land. (laughs) Just just what is the proper land? Uh, So they ended up what they thought was going to be the perfect spot, which is seven miles south of the South Loop. Natalie, do you uh, what was seven miles south of the South Loop? A swamp. <laughs> mm-hmm. A swamp called Jackson Park. <laughs> like I just very daintily just said a swamp. <laughs> a swamp. Chicago is known uh, originally for beavers and onions. Uh, Chicago's <laughs> named. That's serious. I'm sorry. And we're, Chicago's <laughs> named for that onion. Mm-hmm. And I have a it's drawing of that onion. onion. <gasps> Wait, I can bring this full circle to a sponsor. I have a drawing of that onion, <laughs> an illustration of that onion downstairs by Wonder City Studio. 
Hey, Nat here real quick to talk about my love of Chicago, specifically the love of Chicago history and architecture, a love which I share with one of our sponsors, Wonder City Studio. Wonder City creates artwork that honors the architecture and history of places worth preserving with a special love for Chicago. You can find and order some of their amazing work from classic home illustrations to badass ceramics at wondercitystudio.com. Use promo code SHAREDCAPE, that's SHARED, C-A-P-E, for 10% off your next order. The Chicago ramp. It's a wild ramp. Ooh, like a romp. Like yes, a, a nice rump in the swamp. <laughs> it's it's a swamp rump. A swamp rump. Swamp rump. Swamp rump. Uh, so, just as a side note, uh, Shrek make like a perfect like Chicago like Bears fan. By the way, yeah, and also like, he he loves onions. Yeah, right. Like I, I, I feel I feel like he's going to like chow down on some bratwurst and like hate the Packers. So uh. oh, for sure. <laughs> so uh, they ended up choosing this land finally, and it was six hundred. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, Chicago. Okay, continue. <laughs> well, everyone, this was lovely. Goodbye. Oh, no. I, I'm going to take the rest of my nine blue ribbons with me to my back porch. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Chicago. You might actually find him on the swamp over at uh, Jackson Park, but there was so much land <laughs> over there uh, for them to play. But there was also the Midway Palace, where it was a narrow strip of land designed as an amusement area. And what was really cool about this was when the fair actually started, this was the first time there was a actual designated amusement area. Uh, which was very interesting. And uh, I'll uh, wait to like follow up on uh, a couple of other things, but it leads into uh, some of the coolest amusement things that grew through the fair. So they ended up putting Frederick Olmsted in charge of the grounds and the landscape. However, it was Daniel Burnham, famous, famous Chicago architect, who was put really in charge of almost organizing all of the architectural pull through it. And he had his best friend, and I think it's actually one of the saddest stories of the fair. So Daniel Burnham had an architectural partner that he worked with named John W. Root. So when Burnham ended up going in and getting this, he actually made John W. Root the fair supervisor in October of 1890. And they got to work on all of this. And unexpectedly, in 1891, Root died of pneumonia. Uh, so not only did Burnham lose a trusted advisor, he lost a friend, uh, and it was said that it affected him and the fair would have probably ended up slight, uh, looking different and feeling different had Root made it through. Now, who ended up stepping in for Root uh, was Char Charles Atwood, and he actually is responsible for leading the, leading the architecture on 60 of the actual buildings for the fair. Which, Wait, so uh, Burnham didn't even lead the architecture on... Bur Burnham led the architecture, but he had a fair supervisor, and that was... Got rude. it, got it, got it, got it. And, and then uh, Atwood stepped into fair supervisor once uh, Ruth I might be making again. this up, but I feel like I remember in Devil in the White City that... Did, did Root contract pneumonia while working on the fair because it was conditions were like real terrible everything was wet everyone was wet all mm -hmm. the time because they were in a yep. swamp and then it was cold as shit because mm -hmm. it was in chicago 
Uh, if you've ever gotten pneumonia in Chicago, it sucks. I had it when I was 17, 16 or 17, walking pneumonia. And like, I was 16 and 17 was fine. But like having pneumonia back in 1891? Yeah. Probably not okay. Yeah. And then they still be like, gotta go to the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go to work at the swamp. Yeah. It like it's it was completely wild how all of this went and the, one of the craziest things is all of those buildings or most of those buildings were actually constructed as not permanent structures. There were only two that uh, two that are still remaining today, and that is the current art institute. Correction: three are remaining today. Uh, the art institute, MSI. And then I believe parts of the civil. I'm having I'm having slight brain fart. I might fight um, you on this later. <laughs> you might fight me on this. You may do fight it now. Me do it now. <laughs> because uh, the art institute was one. Uh, MSI was the other, and the MSI building actually ended up being made with a, a permanent steel structure versus the materials that. Yeah, because a lot of things. Everything were else was made. Yeah, I think it was uh, what was it scat or skeet. It was almost kind of like a porcelain sort of feel to it. I no, thought it I was just the two. Alabaster? I don't know what the third would be. I thought it was just. I am. I thought it was sure. just the Art Institute and it's MSI. The... Unless you're thinking about the hospital, which technically isn't there anymore. It is, but it isn't. Yes, uh, I am thinking of the hospital, okay. and I was confusing my names because the Art Institute. Uh... No, actually, no. I am right. Uh, it's the Chicago Cultural Center, Chicago oh. Public Library. Yes. Art Institute of Chicago, the Chicago Cultural Center, uh, and the Museum of Science and Industry. Which At was, that time was the Museum of the Science and Industry. Paris of Fine Arts. Yes. Yeah. So the Museum so, of... Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll get into that, too. So Ch Chicago Cultural Center was, at that point, the Chicago Public Library. Okay. Yeah. So was that, that technically was, part that of the incident. fairgrounds? Yeah. Uh, it was built in that era. Uh, and it was still standing and I believe was being constructed at that time. So it is considered that. It, okay. On the fairgrounds, no. But I mean, that even goes with like the L was constructed due to that to mm -hmm. transport workers down to the site. And also, side note, that is oftentimes hard to find. The L, the elevated track, although put as an L instead of an EL, was also a very good thing because as millions upon millions of people descended upon Chicago, it saved multiple lives uh, so they didn't get hit by random trains coming by. Yep. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. a good thing. No, it's it's wild. But back to so, Burnham and his boys. The Burnham boys. Burnham and his boys. Burnham Burnham boys. And his boys. So Burnham and his boys uh, constructed this entire white city, and it was actually influenced neoclassical with the Beaux-Arts uh, idea, and he was heavily influenced by the Paris's World Fair on there. Now, he drew like similar, similar thoughts. Uh, however, he wanted to make Chicago's fair distinctive. His thought was that architecture and sculpture would be, would be the thing of Chicago's fair where engineering ended up almost taking the headline of Paris fair. So they built this out and I'm sure you might touch on this on legacy, but Potter Palmer again had heavy influence on one of the first women's buildings, the, the ladies building. What was the name of it? It's um, the women's building. Is it the it's, women's yeah. building? It's called the women's building. It yeah. is called the women's building. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, which, ridiculous. 
Right? However, I mean, it was a very, very interesting aspect because yeah. you had one of the first female architects. Well, and it was the first time people are like, let's highlight things that women are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not so much as like, this is where we're going to put this sewing or look at the side show. So yeah, it just, it felt weird. Well, and reading it was, but Sophia Hayden got credit for that. And she was actually an MIT grad. So, I mean, that, that was a really cool aspect of, of that where it was, it was extremely progressive for the time. There was a lot like, yeah, it, in, in a a 2021 mindset, like the women's building, but for that time, like, and not just for women, they were highlighting a lot of things that they they normally didn't highlight. I'm going to talk about it more in my section, but of like, this isn't just a sideshow. This is, let's talk about it and open up different people to things that they, I feel like I'm just being very vague now. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, and <laughs> vague. We're good. Uh, so no, I, I, it was wild how that, how it completely worked out. And even with the design of it, how they used electricity to really benefit and boast the fair. Westinghouse was heavily involved. Like, you know, if you've ever stepped in any elevator in Chicago, it is a Westinghouse elevator. That even translates right directly into the Ferris wheel. That completely translates into how everything came together. However, one of the major problems they did end up having were there were buildings that would sink into the swamp in the middle of the construction. And like when a strong windstorm or an ice storm would come down and it would just fall down and they had to rebuild it constantly. And it, it was just a, it was a constant problem and a hindrance, but leading into it, they were able to get enough of everything built. It almost felt like, oh, what was it? Was it the Brazil Olympics where it's like, we built most of it or the Moscow Olympics? Which, which Olympic it was, was it? it, was, it really so, like, was it Sochi? It was Rio. Oh, it was Rio and Sochi, I think, where they were like, it's it's done. It'll be done. We have enough. Do we have running water? No, but it's We spent millions of dollars on it, and now they're all desolate, and (laughs) no one lives there, and unusable land. (laughs) Have you seen pictures of, like, abandoned Olympic villages? They're wild. I mean, anytime a country hosts, you're building basically an Olympic city. And then when the Olympics leave, no one needs that shit yeah. and there's just pictures of like it's it's just eerie they're just empty and they're like oh here's you know an alpine jump that no one's ever going to use again and it's creepy highly recommend googling that i mean do you think uh, people have had to have used it right during the olympics oh no but that to like sad. to the scale that they've built them mm-hmm. And in a lot of like Sochi, Sochi Olympics. Well, and the, the thing... smallest little town in Russia, no one's ever gonna go to Sochi. Well, and the thing with the uh, with the stadiums, stadiums, yeah. mm-hmm. whatever, is that they're so huge and so expensive to maintain. Not, it's more cost effective to just let them fall to ruin and give up that land and give up on it than it is to try and maintain them. Well, and most of the times people put bids in to be Olympic cities. And I'm curious actually what this did to Chicago well, for your, from your guys' perspective. Cause for like an Olympic city, 
people put millions of dollars into bidding and then they put millions and millions of dollars into building the actual arenas, stadiums, you know, living accommodations, touring accommodations, and then thinking that like all this will bolster the economy, like so many people will be coming. Mm -hmm. But then once it's done, they end up kind of in the negative because they put all because the world's looking at you. So you put all this money into it and you can't use any of it after. It's that was uh, one of the big issues with Rio too, because there was such economic disparity in the city and a lot of poverty and there's been a shit ton of money. Well, and that's not even unlike the fairs. Uh, Philadelphia suffered hardship after it. Chicago actually ran into what was called the panic of 1893. What's that? Uh, The conclusion of the fair. Once everything was gone, there were too many workers and not enough work in Chicago. There was a ton of uh, economic hardship for a year or two here. Yep. That's what I was, I was wondering if it, if was it a year or two years are we are we still in that economic hardship from that we're always There's a lot in of economic hardship on yeah constantly uh <laughs> so uh I'll, I'll dive a little bit more into uh i'll because i am the king of like diving into digression <laughs> i digress so we can move forward uh so as as burnham actually built his team and was the chief of the construction of the fair. He continued to adopt different proposals. So one of the cool things was like he would he was very good about listening and building into other people's ideas. So Richard Morris Hunt, uh, so he was responsible for building the facade over at the Metropolitan Museum in New York. You had Charles McKim, the New York Public Library uh, architect. Robert Peabody, George P. Post, Henry Van Burnt, Louis Sullivan, William LeBron Jenny, who was actually responsible for the home insurance building of Chicago, which had one of the first steel structures, which is neat. Still was not as large as the Menagamon building, though. Menagonock. Bad at saying that one. Uh, so Say it four more times, please. No, but it's Do really it. neat. <laughs> Menagonock. So when the when they think think of this with the amount of buildings that were made, they met in 1891 to start planning this. They put all this stuff up in two years. And that and was it a, was a year behind. Yeah, and it was that's why it was a year late. <laughs> so, but they were really good. They shared each other's designs. They had like a really really good partnership amongst all of the architects. It wasn't you're stealing my thing, you're stealing mine. Like they actually collaborated and built out this entire vision uh, to bring everybody to it, which was incredible. There's actually a quote here. St. Gaudens compared the group of the Italian Renaissance geniuses to who built Florence. Look here, old fellow, he said to Burnham. Do you realize that this is the greatest meeting of artists since the 15th century? How cool is that to be considered that group of architects that all meet in a room and go, we're building things, and then to stop and be considered to to the 15th century? (laughs) Yeah. You, they, they, they Michelangelo, Raphael, all the rest of the turtles. Mm-hmm. It's like it's <laughs> wild. And and if you think about it, uh, especially the city in general, what's so interesting and wonderful about Chicago is as Chicago gets torn down, it builds remarkably new and awesome things on a blank canvas. 
it's it's notorious for oh no oh shit <laughs> that bad thing happened and within five to ten years chicago is really good about innovation and building itself back up and there was a sense of pride of being in chicago and being part of the team that was actually building this up which was wild really proud really proud of the chicago teenage mutant ninja turtles <laughs> i'm just well, just just, being... a, just a splinter of pride just a just a uh-huh. uh-huh. being an outsider not a chicagoan these architects weren't all chicagoans for but no some oh, no, of them no, were no, new no, york but... and Right, but one thing I know about Chicago is that y'all love your flag. And there's a lot of symbolism in it. There's the blue part, supposed to be like the rivers, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's water. And then there's four stars, and each of the star represents something. One of the star is for the Great Chicago Fire. Mm-hmm. One of the stars is just for this Columbian Exposition. And if you think about, like, I would always joke, it's like, we get it. It was like 100 years ago, get over it. But it really was a meeting of the minds in every field in science industry architecture art like religion like all of these things it's pretty fucking impressive and because it was so long ago and that because we get the world the word fair and everyone jumps to ferris wheel like i think it gets overlooked by people who don't know chicago and don't know chicago history mm-hmm. that that statement is so fitting of it's like the meeting of the minds since the 15th century, 1500. And well, and I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if you want some extra credit, Cass. <gasps> yes, extra credit always, cast. always. All right, so you name two of the stars. Mm. Uh, what, what, what are the uh, two bodies of water? Uh, Lake Michigan. Uh-huh. The Chicago River. Okay. Yep. Now, oh, what are the other easy. two? Yeah. What are the other two stars? Oh shit! So it was a great fire. Hmm. Which also, I, I love and I think it's kind of a little rude and disrespectful in a great funny way how every sports team or whatever is, like the Chicago Fire is their professional soccer team. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I think it's funny. Uh, Chicago Fire, World's Fair, the Bears, the 95, 85 Bears maybe? <laughs> <laughs> 85 bears and 90, 97 bulls. Is that it? Uh, boy, I mean, if if we had six flags, or six stars <laughs> in the flag. Yeah. Uh, so, so Natalie mentioned uh, earlier, the Century of Progress. That yeah. nobody cares about, but there is a star for it. And it's like, oh, yeah. 1933 fair got a star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. is that that's the middle star it's and the then star think of sure. when uh i don't know if you're familiar with this but i'll give you the location that it's commemorated at have you been to the chicago river walk yeah uh have you walked down there and seen any plaques or seen seen any area over there that commemorates anything i mean sure uh fort dearborn uh the first settlement of chicago is the other star Oh no! Oh, so, oh, I bet that's the first one then. Yeah. So that is um, the that is the last. I thought time. the fire was the first one. Mm-hmm. Oh, Dearborn, like Dearborn Avenue. Yeah, Fort Dearborn. That makes uh, sense. And personally, I'm like, whatever, whatever, Chicago. This is bullshit. But do you know what the three white stripes represent? The white city. No. No. Okay. I don't know. The northwest and south sides, because Chicago doesn't have an east side. That's the lake. <laughs> It's already represented in the yeah. bleed. Oh, that's funny. I wouldn't have ever thought and of that. And when uh, when we were doing a bid for the Olympics, they were talking about if we got the Olympics, adding another star. Ooh. And people were like, mm, 
but then people what am were I also do like, my tattoo. Yeah. Also, <laughs> oh my Everybody gosh. with the Chicago flag tattoo. So many people. <laughs> you know what I love too? I love the people that moved to Chicago and have only been there like three or four years. And they're like, I'm getting the Chicago flag tattoo. Like there's so many transplants in Chicago and y'all do just love your flag and you love your city that I feel like people are like, I've lived here a few years. I'm a Chicagoan now. I'll get the flag tattooed on my body. It's, but also, it's a really cool flag. It's awesome. I love that this turned into, that this episode is going to turn into us passively quizzing Cass about <laughs> the 1800s and also Chicago. Well, I mean, so, so far she's passing. Like, she, I'm, like, I'm at least at 60%. Hey, C's get degrees, Cass. <laughs> oh, oh, I know it. You know, after I was invited to no longer continue my adventure at Iowa State, I learned. <laughs> Wait, did did you get like an RSVP card? Like with? Like... Yeah, it was it was sent to be my sent to me by Owl. Oh God. <laughs> um. Well, speaking of city, I didn't know city flags were a thing until I moved to Chicago. And then I lived in Chicago for five years and then moved back to Des Moines. And all of a sudden Des Moines has a city flag, but apparently it's been around since the seventies, but it's, I don't know, it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of dumb, but I want to love it because it's Des Moines. We've got like- It's got some bridges and shit on it, right? Yeah, it's got bridges, not like the covered bridges all like in Des Moines, there's just three bridges that get you into the downtown area. So there's just, it's, I don't know. I want to like it, but I, I just, when I think of Des Moines, I don't really think of bridges. That's but that's I just only for the, Ma- for Madison County. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh. it's, I'm looking at the Wikipedia. It says a red stripe. There's no documented symbolism for the red stripe. Okay. It's just there. I, isn't that a beer? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like the there's bridges and then the blue the white bridges and then the blue background is water except when you look at it it doesn't like it's one of those when you look at do you see this one thing or this other thing mm-hmm. i never saw the bridges it just looked like a bunch of blue little like bumps on it well uh basically speaking... i want to redesign but whatever we just need to host the olympics in 2024 and then we'll get a redesign we'll add a in... star in Des Moines? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Des Moines uh, bidding to win the Olympics. Um, <laughs> our, our sponsor, sorry, I have to throw this in. Our sponsor, Ray Gun, has a shirt that's got the Olympic rings and it says Des Moines 2024. <laughs> and I have it and I'm like, you know what? Maybe manifest it. City. Manifest. manifest it. Believe it. <laughs> Hey, Nat, uh, can I talk about Iowa for a minute? Honestly, I'm shocked you're even asking for permission this time. It's just that this podcast is sponsored by Raygun and they're headquartered in Iowa. Yeah, but they're bigger than Iowa. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh, really? Who called them that? Raygun did. Checks out. All I'm saying is don't limit Raygun's excellence to just Iowa. I mean, they've got brick and mortar stores in six cities and like an online empire. They're super important to the fabric of the entire universe. Their t-shirts are like the second most important element and they gain on oxygen like every day. That's true. Also, they are super modest. They are. It's truly awe-inspiring. Gosh, Raygun's just so great. Right? And this is an ad paid for by them. So go check them out at their stores across the Midwest or online at raygunsite.com. Use promo code SHERRYALATER to save on your next order. Uh, Now, can I talk about Iowa? Oh, look, we're out of time. 
The oh food goodness. will be great. Everything that oh you can put God. on a stick and deep fry. If God you put damn. it during the Iowa State Fair, people are going to go home to their respective countries with diabetes, but they'll be like, but it tasted good. Uh, I no longer want to walk. Can I drive a block? <laughs> <laughs> so uh speaking speaking of bridges and whatnot one of the You're other welcome. neat areas is they used some of that water we were talking about for their benefits what goes in water better than some boats yeah <laughs> they're like shit there's a lot there's a swamp uh, uh, build some skiffs oh and it was it was neat because like they had electric boats which were quieter and smaller they had steam-powered boats or the idea was to transport all of the fairgoers around and because it was the world's fair they built a lot of replica boats which were really neat they built a replica of the nina the pinta and the santa maria they built a japanese dragon boat and uh, there's pictures of all of this. I think actually the uh, Chicago Architecture Center has pictures of these on their site. But they had Venetian gondolas. They had Norwegian Viking ships. All of these different Just rolling through like a fucking lagoon in <laughs> in the south loop of Chicago on a Viking ship. And And if you think about how shitty that is, it's the... Oh, yeah, there's a Viking ship. They were actually, uh, they discovered America well before Columbus completely Oh, my God, I never thought about that. So that that just makes me giggle, where I was like, they actually hit the fucking continent. (laughs) Columbus didn't even hit the continent! No! Uh, yep. Uh, so... Big old wolf. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Now I'm just giggling about all the potential Columbus jokes. Uh, It amazes me, but more than anything, people people will be very excited and people will actually honor Indigenous People Day now or formerly Columbus Day because Columbus Day didn't begin uh, or wasn't recognized as a national holiday until this event. What? Yeah. Wait, what? Oh, the, the World's Fair was responsible uh, for the recognition of Columbus Day as being a national holiday. Oh, I thought you meant Indigenous Peoples Day. I was like, well, that was no, no. Well, I'm, I'm you know, yeah, <laughs> Indigenous people, formerly Columbus Day. Yeah. Uh, but you know, obviously they did not have that foresight back then. But uh, <laughs> or hindsight, fucking Norway. <laughs> right? The Vikings discovered it. So the fair ran from May 1 to October 31st. We we now have a new national holiday. Visitors are coming from all over the world. Cost of tickets were 50 cents, uh, but 25 for kids and free for under six. So any kid that was 12 that was short came in for free. Uh, and <laughs> we we are approaching the, the start of the fair where most of it is built. Oh, wait, and, uh, hold on. I, I needed to chime in to do my favorite thing. Um, 50 cents in 1893 is the equivalent to 1447 today. Okay, continue. Did you, Wait, did you just look that up or did you know that on hand? No, I looked that up. Oh, clear, I was like, that happened way too quick. <laughs> right now, I have like an inflation calculator up and also miles to kilometers just in case I need it. <laughs> Do you just always pull that up immediately as soon as episodes start? No, but we're talking about like a geographic space. And so I thought that it might be handy. <laughs> uh, uh, so we're, we're there. We've got 6,500 exhibits at the fair. We've got 
over 50,000 objects on display. You've got random folks from all around. You actually have most of those 50,000 items on display are still at the Field Museum in their collection, which is really neat. So know that. Field Museum, formerly the Field Columbian Museum. Uh, uh, is it really? Uh, yeah. Uh, Field Muse- Museum was the first job I worked at when I moved to Chicago. I worked That's in the nice. gift shop. Aww. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're there, and the president is there to start us off. And then the fair begins. In which case, Cass, take us through the fair. Come with me, and you'll see. You're on a Viking ship in a lagoon. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Welcome to the fair, everyone. We're here. Please keep your hands and feet inside the fair at all times. (laughs) There are exits. Here, 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 here. There are a lot of exits. Wait, wait. Do you know what that's a quote from? We're just talking about my obscure quotes. It's from Aladdin. Please keep your hands inside the carpet at all times. If you need an emergency exit, the exits are here, 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 because everything's an exit. Anyway... It's not about the genie. Second section of the podcast, a second beer for Jim. This, Jim's this, like, this Jim's beer is brought to you by 1893, Pep's Blue Ribbon, when all beers got a blue ribbon, but they marketed it better. Yep. <laughs> so I told Natalie and Jim before we started recording that I'm cheating on my section. And Natalie goes, what, are you just going to read from Wikipedia? I was like, well, kind of. (laughs) So so I know that Natalie and Jim know everything about the fair. Ins and outs, tops, bottoms, everything. And I'm, my section is going to be attractions, things that you could see, different exhibits. And so looking through, I just kind of was like going through Wikipedia. I was like, oh, that happened, that happened, that happened. And then I saw one that sparked my interest and I kind of honed in on it a little bit more. But... I am just going to kind of just like go through a list of the things there were. When I think of like the great exposition, like World's Fair, it makes me think of a carnival. I'm from Iowa. Like we have the state fair where it's just like you can go see a bunch of cool stuff, but it's also don't miss it. Don't even be late. Don't. (laughs) I think like when I think of the Columbian Exposition, the Chicago World's Fair, I think of Crystal Palace, the great exhibition, Albert's Exposition in England where it was like, these are all of the new inventions, the new scientific, you know, Darwin and shit was there. It was basically like, look at all the cool shit we're doing. Look at all of the advancements in the world. Look at all of the, I don't think there was as heavy an emphasis on art, but it was, it was literally just showing the world. Like there were no computers. Dissemination of information was so difficult. So it was like, everyone come here. We're going to show you everything that's going on in the world right now primarily science, industry, whatnot. So the Chicago World's Fair, the Columbian Exposition, was the same. And I, I always forget about that. I think a lot of people forget about that because of the goddamn Ferris wheel. Because it's in all of the ads, it's in all of the pictures. The first ever Ferris wheel was constructed, was built by George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. And we still have it. Well, it's been reconstructed, but it's on Navy Pier. It's this big old Ferris wheel. It's the first one ever constructed. And I feel like it is it has turned it into more of a carnival idea when you hear that at least. At least in my head. So it's cool to remember that there are 
a meeting of the minds, insane, like architectural minds, scientific minds. And these are just some of the exhibits that went on. It was the first time they coined the term midway as kind of the fair kind of sideshowy exhibit stuff, which I thought was really interesting. But there was an a, like a specific area just made for attraction, amusement park. Like there was just an amusement park area, but there was also a bunch of different sections. In the amusement park area, they had, they kind of tried to like reconstruct different parts of the world. So in a previous episode, Natalie mentioned Sally Rand, which was in the 1933 exhibition, but there was a place called Street in Cairo and it had a popular dancer known as Little Egypt and they had belly dancing and stuff. A lot of it was very kind of appropriative, kind of very not super accurate, but they they did have little sections of different people of the world. This thing that I found, which I thought was super interesting and the um <laughs> the version of the belly dance that we kind of know the stereotypical the not super accurate whatever was kind of created originated like coined here and it was the dance itself the belly quote-unquote belly dance was known as natalie's smiling right now she knows the hoochie coochie <laughs> which as soon as i heard that and as soon as i heard you talking about saint louis earlier it's the lyrics of we will dance the hoochie coochie. You will be my tootsie if you'll just meet me in St. Louis, Louis. Meet me at the fair. Whoa, look at that. Everything's connecting. I don't think that was, you know, superly correct, but it was the kind of the. It that's was the. That it was the. Wasn't it the like do 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 Wasn't that one? Yes. Saul Bloom was a famous like entrepreneur, entertainer, whatnot. There's this this you know legend that he needed to improvise something while the people were dancing, so he came up with that song, and then he immediately sent it out to public domain, whatever. But uh, that was just a fun thing to to read and learn about. Like Jim said, Columbus's ships, uh, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, they did full recreations. And it was done in tandem with the comfort with the government of Spain. So they built them in Spain and then they sailed them over to America. And it, it was one of the most popular attractions. Uh, people would go see these ships and whatnot. Edward Mybridge, uh, he gave lectures on, he was, he studied animal locomotion basically the movement of animals and you'll see a lot of the times it looks like a spinning wheel and then there, it's like um what am i thinking of it's a moving picture where you spin the wheel and it looks like the cheetah's running mm -hmm. for the very first time that was at the world's fair and they say that that was the first com commercial movie theater during the world's fair because they had people coming in just to watch that thing spin and it looked like the leopard running. Is that a, they a also, zoetrope? Is that what that's called? Uh, Zoopraxiscope. Zoopraxiscope. Sure. It would show moving pictures, yes, that he would play to the public. But there also was the electrotachyscope. Basically, it was 
projected the illusion of moving images. So the zoopraxiscope, it was a physical wheel that you would just look down at almost like a kaleidoscope. And as it spun, you would see like this little animal move. But the electrotachoscope was actually something that projected moving images. So I don't know that it was necessarily like film yet, but it was like the act of that zoopraxiscope, but projecting it. And that's why they say it was the first commercial movie theater. That was the first time it was exhibited there. Buffalo Bill Cody, Buffalo Bill, who I believe was born in Iowa, was not invited to the exposition. Jim, I saw you roll your eyes when I said Iowa. Oh, and I stuck my tongue out. What else? <laughs> <laughs> um, Buffalo Bill Cody, if you don't know him, he, he was the Wild West. He, I don't know if he felt slighted, maybe, but he was not invited to the exposition, but he showed up anyway. And he set up his Wild West show just outside of the area of the actual fair itself so people could come see it which kind of went in tandem the time he was running the show was at all of these different exhibits like some of them were science some of them were history some of them were anthropology there was this guy called frederick jackson turner and he was giving academic lectures and his thesis was basically reflecting on the end of the frontier which was happening at the same time as you could listen to his lecture about the end of the frontier, the end of the wild west, and then go see Buffalo Bill Cody, you know, reliving the remnants of that. And it was kind of interesting because his kind of thesis was, I'm going to quote it because it's, it's kind of interesting. The west, not the east of America, the west coast, west side, was where distinctively American characteristics emerged. The creation of the unique American identity occurred at the juncture between the civilization of settlement and the savagery of wilderness. This produced a new type of citizen, one with the power to tame the wild and one upon whom the wild had conferred strength and individuality. And so that is like the, the American cowboy, the American ideal of like scruff and might it says, it goes on to say, as each generation of pioneers relocated 50 to 100 miles west, they abandoned useless European practices, institutions, and ideas, and instead found new solutions to new problems created by their new environment. Over multiple generations, the frontier produced characteristics of informality, violence, crudeness, democracy, and initiative that the word, world recognized as American. So in his mind, this is kind of like, this is why we're American. This is who we are. He ignored, ignored like gender, race, socioeconomic issues. It was this heavy emphasis on American exceptionalism that we are inherently different from everyone else because we're America and we're great, which segues into kind of the one uh, ex exhibit exhibition that really caught my eye. This idea of American exceptionalism, that we're bringing everyone to Chicago and to America, but we are talking about completely different things. We're talking about female architects. There were female poets. There were people from all over the world bringing who were the best at what they did. And it was about showing all of that. But there was kind of an undercurrent of, but we're American, or we are, the, we are the way that this is supposed to be. So there was one exhibit called Parliament of the World's Religions, which was basically a bunch of different religious leaders held an exhibit from 
September 11th to September 17th. It was a 17 day exhibit or I don't know, lecture series kind of where they had leaders from Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all of all of the kind of major religions, which was really cool when you first start reading. Well, I mean, it's, it's really cool either way, but it was really cool when I first started reading about it because like everyone was there. All of the major religions, they had like the Big Ten, which I, I don't know name on my hands, but they invited kind of newer religions or new new waves of religions, and they let everyone talk. I'm looking into it a little bit deeper, about two thirds of them were, you know, maybe half were Christian denominations, so it's primarily Christian, and they let mostly the Christian people talk, and then you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, they got maybe one or two. Their their major speakers got maybe one or two lectures throughout the entire exhibition. The idea behind it was let's open all these religions to people. Let's show everyone that they all exist, that they all exist in harmony, that we respect each other, that we want to have an open sharing of ideas and no one's trying to convert anyone and no one's trying to whatever, you know, say like my, my small sect of religion is better than yours. It's just, this is what our best practice is. This is what we teach. But because it was so lopsided, there was that undercurrent of you're welcome for inviting you guys. Oh, isn't that cute? Oh, that's so sweet. Aren't you so lucky to be here? Exactly. Wow. My religion says we accept everyone. Yes. (laughs) Um, Even you. (laughs) They had a lot of speakers from different practices. They had them, they had like an opening ceremony, which, which was really cool. And they said people were like, they filled this fourth out there were four thousand people in this one building i can't remember which one it was and then all of the invited speakers of all the different religions entered walking down the center all holding hands which was pretty fucking big and pretty fucking cool back then and every newspaper every reporter Every person and and speaker there said that the person that stole the show was Sami Vivekananda, who was a Hindu leader. And he came and he was he was young and he was getting people excited. Everyone was just like, I want to hear more from this guy. And in the opening day ceremony, whatever, he stands up to speak to everyone. It's the first time he's speaking. And it says he spoke the words sisters and brothers of america and he just from those words alone got a standing ovation for two minutes y'all i don't know if you've ever been speaking in front of people before two minutes is a long fucking time it's a long time Mm -hmm. like especially i you know what i don't not even speaking in front of people have you ever been in an audience during a uh, an applause and you're like shit Clap for a long time. My hands kind of hurt. Two fucking minutes is a long time for a standing ovation. He was the star of the goddamn show. And I knew that the exhibition was a lot about scientific achievement, architectural achievement. There was a shit ton of art. They had some of the best sculptors, painters, artists in the world. There was literally the first like amusement park. The amusement park at the World's Fair inspired like Coney Island or parts of Coney Island. But I had no idea that there was this big kind of 
religious parliament, which is still a thing. It's called Parliament of the World's Religions, and it like still a thing. It's all of these religions coming together and, and trying to find commonality and respect for each other. And again, that I'm not trying to show that my religion's better. I just want to present it to you as best as I can and let everyone else do the same, which I think was really fucking cool. They didn't have any indigenous Native American peoples there. And they said that they only had African Americans there because they had converted to Christianity, which I don't even know if any of the speakers were black or African American. But I think just the fact they kind of said that they let them there at all. I was like, okay, well, (laughs) good for you. Uh, There is uh, Frederick Douglass actually came down hard on them. I'm, I I don't know if you hear my rustling of papers, but I'm looking for my quote. Here it is. Uh, so uh, yeah, Frederick Douglass was a big champion of really being upset that there was there weren't a lot of examples of African culture on display. So we organized uh, a Color People's Day at the fair and was jeered and ridiculed horribly until he actually spoke. And uh, he was quoted, We people love our country. We fought for it. We ask only that we be treated as well as those who fought against it. I paraphrased one of the words because I, as a cis white male, do not feel comfortable even saying the word in which uh, black people were referred to at that time. Yeah. Thank you. That's fair. (laughs) But also, shade Frederick Douglass. Shade Frederick Douglass. But, I mean, like, how how great of a quote is that? I mean, like, it was... It was wild. And still? People were... People at that moment were being lynched in the South. Yeah. Still. People now, waving around Confederate flags, getting treated better than a lot of black people in this country. People people now, waving around Confederate flags. People now, getting lynched. Yeah. What did I say about the, you know, repeating history thing at the beginning? I just Oh, I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener. wiener. That's what what you said about it. No, it was baloney. It was baloney. Which, by the way, they're looking for people to drive the wienermobile. (gasps) Job listings out. (laughs) That just reminds me of the Santa Claus when new stepdad or whatever just wanted a weenie whistle. I want a weenie whistle. I want a weenie whistle. Um... It's not about him. It's not about him. Of all the expositions, all of this this amazing like thought and inventor, just like geniuses of their generation, just propelling the world forward. I thought it was really cool that they had the Parliament of Religions, all of the world religions. I think because of Vivekananda, like Hinduism was propelled up into one of the 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 big ten. They say like the big ten of religions. I don't know if that's true or if it was just brought to light because of this in America, at least. The whole exhibit had like recreations of like, you know, the street in Cairo and they had different countries kind of represented what they would do recreations. They did not invite or include any Native American cultures into the Parliament of World Religions. They had... I think one little section where they said they put up wigwams and it was more appropriative and I think exhibitionist of some of the Native American countries or Native American tribes given none representation and no voice on the 401st anniversary of Columbus landing, getting lost somewhere nearby. 
So that was that was upsetting. And um, there were leaders of Native American tribes that were, I think they were present and they were trying to speak and they were trying to give voice to their people when this entire mini world was literally being created in Chicago. And they're like, you know, we're, we're going to leave you out. That's the one, that's the one kind of main exhibit I really honed in on, but there was so much going on. There's so but much just going on. all of, all of the irony. And there's uh, also so many, so many firsts at, I think one of my favorite things is people credit, like, I don't know if it's true that people will be like, oh, the World's Fair is like the first, like, they're like, electricity was like debuted. And it's not that, like, people, like, electricity had been debuted, if you will, before, but it was yeah. not on this scale. I think... I love, there's a story, uh, Westinghouse and Edison, whatever, ed, hyphen it, Edison's company was at that point, um, what were in competition for like the contract to have yeah. the, like light to light the fair. And mm -hmm. I don't remember mo like the whole debacle, but I know that Westinghouse won the contract because like at the 11th hour, they came in like 70 cents. I think under Edison's company and they're just like, fuck you. Well, and that was JP Morgan's way of trying to get back in because he was going in with Edison to try to get that contract. Man, JP Morgan can't catch a break. He just keeps chasing it. There it is again. It wasn't just that electricity was like debuted or hey, look at electricity. Is that it was used throughout the entire it was used yeah. in all of the exhibits, all the, like is actually being utilized, right? Well, partially, partially the because thing? they wanted the fair to like n be able to be open at night. And so it was also yeah. just like a logistical thing and like a profit thing that they're like, the longer we can have open hours. Yeah. But that and was the with, first time they did it on such a scale, right? Without that, yeah, they would have lost their ass financially too, because they recouped a ton of costs because of the Ferris wheel there. Yeah. Uh, so due to the electricity and whatnot, uh, the Ferris wheel was actually one of the things that kept the entire fair financially afloat. Also, I want to say about the Ferris wheel, because I'm sure that there are people who are who are not as big of nerds as uh, Jim and I are, who are like, big whoop, a Ferris wheel. Let me tell you about the quote unquote original Ferris wheel. <laughs> Let me tell you about this monstrosity. So the first of all, the Ferris wheel, like Cass said, they looked a lot to Paris and also to like London's fair. And the Ferris wheel was meant to basically be their Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower was the centerpiece of the 1889 Paris exposition. And so they were like, shit, if we're gonna not turn out like Philadelphia, <laughs> we, <laughs> their bell cracked. We gotta build yeah, something. We need something big, and here comes Ferris with his big old dreams we that defy the laws of physics. Let's be honest. The Ferris wheel that was at the Columbian Exposition was massive. The cars were like the size of train cars. We're not talking they about like 40 people. Each no, car they held actually 40 people. They were able to do 60 to 90. They held weddings on these things. Yes. What? Yeah. <laughs> they had they had 40 Damn. chairs cast. Oh, well, yeah. But then there was standing room only. <laughs> I my stats are 264 feet tall, 40 person chairs, but we don't care about fire code. No, this is Chicago. Oh, we don't care Someone about... doesn't care about Chicago. Fire code in Chicago. You think we would learn our lesson, but then we <laughs> had the Iroquois Theater fire. Yeah. Which we just did an episode on. 
And which Blum not only uh, debuted uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, or was supposed to there, but also got the inspiration for the Emerald City from the White City. <gasps> anyway, continue. Oh, first. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. But just like the, like, like Jim said, the Ferris wheel, there's a, a figure I have that says that it carried some 38,000 passengers daily. And it wasn't just like loop-de-loop. It was like one of those nice slow Ferris wheels. So it took about 20 minutes to go around. And then I just really quickly, because I love it, want to rip through some other silly dumb firsts. I know that Jim is chomping at the bit to talk about to talk about Bertha Palmer and her brownie. Well, I wanted to go through that, but I wanted to play a little segment game, if it's okay with you, with Cass, called Fair or Unfair. And I was going to name something, and you needed to uh, you needed to say if it was invented during the fair or Okay, not. I love this game. Also, I realized I said this at the very beginning and never followed up, how I said I was going to cheat. I had like a list of things from Wikipedia I was going to talk about before I talked about the Parliament of Religions. But the reason I was cheating is I was like, I was just going to mention something, and I know Jim and Natalie know everything about it, so they'll just talk about it, <laughs> and I won't have to do the research for it. <laughs> and then I'll talk about my one thing. But let's fair. Let's fair, fair or not. Or fair or unfair. Fair. Okay. <clears throat> All right. I've got another blue yummy, another Bud Light in front of me, and I'll take a you drink. Know, anytime uh, you know, uh, that beer is just about And probably every time I'm right. We're just going to. Natalie, right. you have to drink too. All right. Everyone at home, if you're able, take a drink whenever I... I'm incorrect. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. Am I playing? Am I allowed to play? No, no. <laughs> that's, the that's... toothpick. Oh, Not fair. Correct. Yes. Cracker Jack popcorn. Not fair. Uh, fair. <gasps> Frederick William Rickman, a German immigrant, and his brother Louis were the first to add peanuts and molasses to this flavored candy coated popcorn. Take a drink, friends. Take a drink. Mm. Uh, Wrigley's chewing gum. Fair. Absolutely fair. Wrigley, uh, the Wrigley family, uh, 1891, the company started off actually selling soap and baking soda and then created uh, the chewing the, gum for the fair. When was the stadium built? Uh, much, much later. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so like, they, they actually produced uh, flavors, uh, actually a wider range. Uh, so... They had flavors called Sweet 16, Peppermint, uh, Lemon Cream, and Blood Orange. Juicy Fruit and Spearmint Gums soon became the mass favorites, and Juicy Fruit Wrigley Gum was the first to be introduced to the nation at the World's Columbian Exposition in 1893. So exciting. You know, you know, soaps, gum. There's a quick line there. <laughs> it keeps our teeth clean. Uh, and I, I, I went so Italian there, like in like a classic, like Mario. It keeps the teeth clean. Which which our listeners at home can totally see your arms flailing <laughs> back and forth. They could hear it. All right. Uh, <laughs> shoelaces. Not fair. Not fair. All right. However, zipper. Uh, an early zipper. Natalie, that's probably already on his list. It was on my list. Uh, Natalie, what was the original name of the zipper, though, before it was actually changed to the name of the zipper? Oh, it's something stupid like a like a like a clasp, like a teethy clasp clasp thing. A tooth clasp. Uh, Think think of uh, think of the uh, uh, that's going to be too long of a joke. Uh, It was called the clasp locker. Um, Locker. I hardly know her. 
Ah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm your and drunk uncle. And it just lost the Oscar. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, it was it was uh, called the Class Blocker, and in, in 1913 it ended up being called. I believe I think it was 1913. It got the name of the zipper. Yeah, I don't think that the yeah. one that they debuted at the fair was like as put together as a zipper. I think it was like an early version. It was no, like it zip. Like it was a like torture device. Yeah, it was like Mark One zipper. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, but you also said trip. contact lens i did say contact lens. i feel like that's too we'll see i don't know or not but i'm just using context clues i feel like that'd be too obscure i'm gonna say fair that is unfair uh, uh, tricks, and tricks, and uh, tricks and tricks and tricks take a drink listeners all right <clears throat> the scooter scoot scoot Fair. Unfair. God damn it, you sold it so well. <laughs> All right. Get I'm ready. waiting for you to get for to my absolute favorite. The moving, ball machine. The moving sidewalk. Oh, that's fair. That uh, is fair. That was in my research. Uh what was also great ones and they had ones that you could stand or walk on. You can go to the airport and ride these for free now. <laughs> which is not which just is a funny. chicago airport not just o'hare any airport midway speaking of <laughs> mom dad how many how many tickets for to ride the moving walkway <laughs> just imagine a chump all right we got uh, <laughs> hey guys remember uh, chicago <laughs> uh, uh let's see uh orson wells he was born at the fair. Born? Huh? Orson Welles. Uh, what do you mean? Created at the fair? I don't fair? know. Does like, parents don't know. get busy like, was, on was, was he at the, the fair? Was, was, he, was he highlighted at the fair? Was he at the fair? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fair. No. Unfair. No. Nah, no. Orson he's way too young. Let's see. Uh, Houdini. Oh, fair. I knew that. Absolutely. He actually uh, first went by the name of Houdini at the World's Fair. Yeah. Uh, he, the, was, he was... Uh, Czech originally, mm-hmm. wasn't he? Yes. And then he changed his name so he didn't, I don't know, he sounded more magical. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, yeah, it's, it's wild. Like you sit there and go, oh my God, he was the, uh, he was the first person of that. Obviously also, we talked about Potter Palmer and the Brownie, uh, which yeah, was to you. Which but was also, great. can we go back to Harry for a second? <laughs> hey, are Harry. we, what are your views on magic and like the gathering oh harry harry houdini is just like early david blaine like he's just doing mostly physical feats i i love magic actually chicago is rooted in a history of magic a chicago magic lounge they looked around and the owner joey cranford very 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 wonderful person very very smart individual and a great storyteller sat there and went, what's a story that's not being told? And he started falling in love uh, with magic, and he realized this is a story that needs to be told. So he created the Chicago Magic Lounge. And so there is actually a deep history of Chicago with close-up magic and it being really a big thing for a long time. And then it kind of just fell off the map, and now it made its resurgence. I, ju- I just... <laughs> And I you don't you don't consider Harry like fear factor sized feats to no you don't like, consider David that Blaine, magic like, I'm I'm being in a coffin for twelve hours. that's not magic that's just feats of physical exertion or strength 
Houdini did a lot of like, I'm getting out of the handcuffs underwater. But like one of his, the reason he died, basically, one of his quote unquote magic tricks was people would like pound his stomach with paddles just to, to show that he was like getting the shit beat out of him. And then he would go underwater and whatnot. And some guy went backstage and like talking shit or whatever. And he punched him in the stomach because Harry's Houdini's thing was like, I can like clench my abs and take all of this pressure and people like punching me. Like he would have people just punch him. So this guy punched him when he wasn't ready and that's what killed him. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I get, yeah, like undoing a handcuff and whatnot. But I guess that's all I think of with Houdini is like holding your breath really long, getting hit and climbing out of shit, which magic, yes, but I want some illusion. I want some, I don't know. That's a different podcast. <laughs> I clearly have thoughts about it and feelings. That, that The season opener. <laughs> <laughs> the history of illusion. Yeah. Stay tuned uh. for season four. Where Cass really lays into Chris Angel. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Hey, Cass, it's me, Chris Angel. By the way, where's your mic? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, hey, wait, hold on. It's behind your ear. Flop. Do you guys remember, like, the David Blaine sketches? YouTube, when yeah. YouTube just started, and there, it was actually, it was Mikey Day who's on SNL now. There was this a guy who'd be like David Blaine, and he's like, "Do you like Cheez Its? Look in your your soda thing. Oh my God, it's Cheez Its. There's Cheez Its. What the hell?" And then David Blaine just like won't leave this guy alone. I love it so much. Go it's... back to early YouTube and just look at David Blaine sketch early YouTube. It's. I don't think there's a comment I've ever hated more than hearing early YouTube. Just like, don't even act like you're old, okay? I no, no, I just, I just hated, I hated the idea of just her. Oh, back in early YouTube, it's <laughs> it's completely different. I'm actually well, interested for all of our young listeners out there. Go back and watch it, because I'll go back and watch some of those videos and be like, not that it's it's not funny or but like everything has changed so much. Where they were such long videos and the jokes were drawn out, whereas now it's like set up punchline payoff. Like it's so quick. Y'all remember Charlie the Unicorn? Hell yeah. Damn, that thing drug out. Whoa. <laughs> I remember watching that one being, what the, why the fuck am I watching this? Also, it's dark. Uh, Cass. Sorry, fair or not fair? I got, I got <laughs> a few Blaine more for friend. you here. Uh, and I'm really excited about these last couple ones. I really uh, hope one of them's <clears throat> my favorite. You have no way of knowing. Aunt it's Jemima. like we're a married couple. <laughs> Aunt Jemima pancake mix. Fair. That is fair. That what was in my research. Uh, tell me about it. Uh, I don't know. It was well. It was <laughs> like that. It already existed, or whatever. It was like the spokesperson like highlighted it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Made it more popular. Popularized it. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy Green literally made like thousands upon thousands of pancakes a day as uh. Is Nancy Jemima. Green a white woman? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. For some reason, I just assumed a white woman profited off of that. Because well, no, but American it's because history. the character, the character of Aunt Jemima, comes from like a comes from minstrel shows. Yeah. Well, so that's yeah. why. That's why you thought that. Yeah. <laughs> it it was a logical thought. You know, a very logical thought. You know, when we're talking about <laughs> Columbian Exposition and the 401st anniversary of Columbus doing something somewhere, I figured, oh, you know, there's probably some poor racial play going in to yeah. some of Popper. 
Uh, here's one for you that might. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna say it. The hamburger. Not fair. Yes and no. Fuck off. That's it, cheating. No. Well, here's the thing. It was not a new creation, but it debuted in Chicago around the time of the uh, around this time, and it was especially wonderful for the late night staff. So a horse-drawn carriage would come by, and the delivery system essentially was drunk food at night. So it was literally <laughs> the Hamburglar. It, it was. Hamburglar it was like literally Hamburglar. 1893's version of White Castle. Oh my God, I love. Of it. The, the White City, White Castle. White, perfect. Yeah, White if you're Castle. not in the mood for a slider, you could just have a Vienna sausage. Hey, good old sausage. sausage. Yeah. Over yeah. at the jewels. All right. All right, Cass. Uh yes. I, now I'm gonna I'm gonna do uh, a couple of additional ones. Uh <clears throat> the Chicago style hot dog. Fair. Unfair. Oh. Uh, however, do you know why? Uh, a bonus question on that. Do you know why the uh, hot dog uh, did not have ketchup on it? Why? Because at the time... Uh, Heinz had not been alive. There Mr. was Heinz. no reason to put both tomato slices and ketchup at that time, which was merely just tomato puree. Oh, yeah. That, that makes sense. That is why. I just I just noticed some change on my thing. Uh, the squashed penny. Fair. Fair. That's I my favorite. You know. That one's my favorite. <laughs> that was that yours, Natalie? That was your favorite one. <laughs> when you when we we the whole thing about it being like it's it's illegal to destroy uh, U.S. mint. Mm. Is that it's like it's like illegal mm. to like destroy anything that is. U.S. minted currency or whatever. But what like, if it's a cute souvenir? Or what happens if you're selling Cutco scissors? How am I supposed what? to show you? Oh, you the, never had that? The strength what? of my no. Gingsu knife if I'm not going to cut through my shoe oh, and also yeah. a penny. I thought there was, was like to destroy U.S. minted currency is technically like a federal offense or like it's illegal or it's not good. But you can crush pennies at the Museum of Science and Industry or like local attractions. Yeah, because you're paying like fifty cents to do it. So it's I not guess go to the government. It's destroying I love their mint, which you're gonna have to remake. That's inflation. That's well, inflation. Speaking of the inflation. mint, the there were commemorative the first commemorative coins were souvenirs mm -hmm. at the World's Fair. As That's well right. as the first commemorative stamps. Oh. Mm-hmm. Love a good stamp. Love a good stamp. stamp Love a good collections. squashed penny. Uh, a few additional. Uh, you had the automatic dishwasher there as well. Ooh. Yeah. Speaking of stamps, I got this beautiful postcard from Natalie, which now I don't think I ever told you that I got it. And it's, I think it's a bunch of female inventors Scientists. That's the series. Scientists. It's all women, women in science. And I got Chinsu Wu. It just makes me think that Natalie's cheating on this podcast, or she's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna pick up a postcard. I'll do an episode about it. <laughs> Even though Chinsu Wu was dope. And I was just looking at your stamps. And, uh, There's a Hubble you know. telescope stamp on there. Uh, Navajo jewelry and, and uh, the galaxy from the Hubble telescope. So. Thanks, Chicago. Gotta love stamps. <laughs> stamps, stamps, stamps. 
You know, and uh, Cass, I, I feel like you fared pretty well. Oh, that I fared well? I, I feel like you Jim. fared well. But I will say, I've got one additional one that I forgot about. So I'm going to throw two two other things in here. We still got to get to Natalie's portion. The, the, the deep dish pizza. Not fair. Not fair. Not fair. <laughs> I, I like i'm sorry like i was immediately was like oh no i gotta bring that one up now i'm sorry i'm bringing it back post stamp uh, post stamp conversation you gotta bring it back it's okay i did well it's fine because we talked briefly about souvenirs and yes. when do you enjoy a souvenir a souvenir so you can look back and remember the fair which brings oh. me to the end and the legacy <gasps> of the fair tell us oh. One of one item of which I'm not going to get into, but boy, do people love their commemorative items from the fair. They're God a damn. hoop to find. I think we might have one of like a commemorative coin. I don't know. If, I can't remember what if it's from the 1893 or the or the 1993 or 1993 the 1993 Chicago's World Chicago World's Fair, the uh, 1933. I can't remember. But uh, Jim mentioned that Chicago World's Fair was the first exposition at least in america that closed with a profit the cash balance at closing was four hundred and forty six thousand dollars and no sorry four hundred forty six eight hundred and thirty two oh my god i can't read numbers four hundred and forty six thousand eight hundred for thirty two dollars in 1893 today Ooh. don't worry i got you today that's $12,932,013.15. Okay, but Natalie, how much is that for our friends abroad? I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> the euro keeps changing. Is this the pound pre or post Brexit? I oh, don't know. Who knows? I don't even think they know. So before I get into the legacy of the fair, I want to talk very briefly about the final days of the fair, namely a large historical event that coincided with the end of the fair and kind of cast a shadow upon the fair's closing. Haley's fair... Comet. Yes, it was Haley's Comet. Didn't that happen around that time? I don't know. I don't know. I just figured it would cast shadow. It was maybe a, an illusion. Sorry. No, no. It was. I feel like I was alive for Haley's Comet. I mean, she comes around quite often. Does she? Not, not often. She, well, you know, she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It got blue yummy up my nose. <laughs> oh, God. What sort of drug is that? <laughs> oh, it's a Bud Light. Blue yummy. Oh, okay. Um, I've actually never heard it called that till recently, and I hate it, but I can't stop calling it that. <laughs> I've never heard it called that until you started calling it that. What, the... what was invented during the, the World's Fair podcast? Blue yummies up the nose. <laughs> the fair was set to end on October 30th, 1893. Though I think, and Jim, correct me if I'm wrong. Am I making this up? Was it extended a couple times? Uh, I am, think. Or am I thinking I know, of the 1933? I think, I think that you're one. thinking of 1933. Uh, 19, uh, it should have closed on like Halloween night, but uh, I'm sure they kept certain things open as they were starting to pull it apart. So it's set to end on the 30th. Maybe I'm thinking of the fact that it took so long for them to actually open it. Not that it 
it got extended. However, on October 28th, so just two days before then, Mayor Carter Harrison, the first one, I know we mentioned there were no dailies in the making of this podcast, but there, uh, there, there was a different dynasty of Chicago mayors because Carter Harrison Jr. becomes mayor later. But Mayor Carter Harrison was murdered. <gasps> uh, he was assassinated in his own home by Patrick Eugene Predergrast, who was a disgruntled supporter of his, who uh, was also an office seeker and kind of just thought that he was like, I supported this guy. He's going to give me an appointment when he takes his, I think, fifth term as mayor. And then uh, Harrison didn't immediately give him an appointment. And so he shot him because that's how you handle conflict. You, that's what happens when you don't get what you want, apparently. So in the wake of the assassination, the big end of fair blowout was a little uncouth. So they decided to replace it with a large public memorial service instead. A lot of this is also in a book that since I'm talking about murder, I feel like I should bring up because I feel like it's part of now the legacy of the Chicago World's Fair, even though it happened during it. The book, The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, is why a lot of people now know about the Chicago World's Fair. And the reason people just eat up that book is because as much as it's about Burnham and the planning of the fair and the fair itself and Carter Harrison, it's also about murder. Is uh, it Scorsese making a film? or He was making a film, but like then was like, Marty, help me out. And they were going to do a film. And then I think last I read, it's being developed as a series instead with them producing, but not necessarily Leo mm. in it. Uh, you know, what's wild is I've never actually read Devil in the White City. It's so and what's funny is that a lot of people are like, should I read it? And to them, I have to gauge whether I think that there's somebody who would be interested in architecture and Chicago history aspect of it or if they just want the murder porn aspect of it which is funny because my partner Justin has I've told him to read it and he's like I don't care about the murderer and I'm like fine a big chunk of the book isn't that it's a, maybe 50 50 but I feel like I, ha I have to do the sexy part of the legacy the sexy part I guess being horrible horrible murders yeah because there's a bajillion and one podcasts about murder out there so if you want to get like a deep dive in it i know that my favorite murder does an episode on it i think hashtag history maybe does an episode on hh holmes but i'm gonna very briefly oversimplify hh holmes because i feel like it's now part of the legacy of what a lot of people know about the chicago world's fair and that is that it was a stalking ground for a serial killer i want to say the first american serial killer but i also think i'm making that up okay the devil in white city interweaves the story of burnham and the planning of the fair with hh holmes a serial killer who capitalized on the fair from both a business and a murder perspective why have just one <laughs> really gotta really gotta get your money and blood's worth i recommend reading the book here is an oversimplification of hh holmes Born Herman Webster Mudgett. He had many, 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 many aliases. <laughs> Sorry, that's a funny name. Right? I mean, it's like you would change it too. He had many, <laughs> many aliases. He had many, many wives. He, some at the same time because, you know, he kept like leaving and changing his name. He was a con man. He started using H.H. H. Holmes in August 1886 when he first arrived in Chicago. 
He took a job at a drugstore and eventually either bought the drugstore from the owners or murdered the owner and his family. Question mark. When the fair was coming up, he bought the lot across the street from the drugstore to build a new drugstore and like apartments above it to capitalize on folks coming in and needing a place to stay. So H.H. H. Holmes is like, all these people going to be coming to Chicago. They're going to need some place to stay. Listen, I got them. So he builds this mixed-use building. There's apartments. There's other retailer spaces and his own fancy new drugstore. He also, a really interesting part, before you even get to the murder porn part of Devil in the White City, is he basic just reading about how he basically never paid anyone and was constantly getting sued by contractors. He basically had people build him this huge building and he like didn't pay any of his contractors or vendors. He started adding a third floor to his building to use it as like a hotel during the ex- uh, ex- ex- exposition words. Let me tell you, I'm calling it a hotel, but what it's called in most history books is a murder castle or murder hotel. <laughs> but most people call it H.H. H. Holmes murder castle. The first floor was the storefront. The second and third floor were the apartments, a.k.a. torture rooms. Let me tell you about these rooms, Cass. Some of them were soundproof. Oh, I don't want to hear about this. I'm just, I'm not telling you what happened in the rooms. I'm just going to tell you about the rooms and you can draw your own conclusion. Uh, the police finally did like an investigation and inspection of the house. They found that there were rooms that were soundproofed. There were rooms that had hinged walls and false partitions. There were some rooms that were airtight and connected to gas lines. So he built gas chambers. There were, of course, chutes that dropped straight from these rooms to the basement where where Holmes had acid vats, quicklime, and a crematorium to dispose of bodies. He had a crematorium built into his, like, installed in his home. And I was, he was just like, yeah, I need this. And they were like, okay. Also, uh, in the basement, there were surgical tables and tools because Holmes would taxidermy, quote unquote. No, he would dissect and sell organs and bones to both medical institutions and on the black market. He eventually... I don't like... I'm going to have nightmares, Natalie. (laughs) He was was caught. He was eventually captured. He was tried for murder. He confessed to 27 murders. There's... Roughly nine that they can pretty confidently tie him to. It's speculated, however, that he has killed as many as 200 people. But he was actually only convicted and sentenced to death for the murder of one individual who was his accomplice and business partner. So, and by accomplice and business partner, I mean like accomplice and business partner in the Great Big Murder Castle Project, TM. Wait, so... So he so did he did that he got killed hanging trial he got got he got killed mm-hmm. other legacy of the Columbian Exposition is it just like marked the beginning of it marked the beginning of a golden era of entertainment like Jim mentioned we then backslid into a economic depression within the next decade there were world's fairs in atlanta nashville omaha buffalo and st louis so really i feel like st louis was the only one that like actually gets a lot of recognition hey nat what you been up to during the pandemic oh god eating mostly oh like cooking and eating homemade meals and stuff (laughs) no like ordering delicious sweet treats and cakes from ecbg cake studio they make specialty cakes for all occasions. They make wedding cakes, they do custom cookies, they have all sorts of sweet treats you can order and pick up. Don't they also do online baking classes? 
They do. So I guess I could get more hands-on with my baked good habit. While Natalie stops salivating, you should go visit at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram and their website, ecbgstudio.com. Like fairs and amusement parks became about more than just like a good time. Yeah. Um, there's a quote from a social historian, quote, the fairs were pans to progress, concrete demonstrations of how order and organization, high culture and art, science and technology, commerce and industry, all brought together under the wise administration of business and government would lead inevitably to a brighter, more prosperous future. And that's David Nassau. Also, it led to a whole bunch of like great things elsewhere other than fairs. It was the rise of the City Beautiful movement, which was more of a result of Olmsted, the landscaper of the fair, than of anyone else because it led to just having these grand buildings with like fountains and like ponds and shit around them to kind of highlight these this beautiful architecture to have the landscape be as much of the architecture and the city as the buildings themselves. You know what was wild about Olmsted is his goal was to best uh, city park or not city central park, park. Uh, central park. But also like mm-hmm. things that like were inspired by him definitely. For a great example of like a project kind of stemmed from the city beautiful movement is the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Mm. And like the reflecting pool that's in that vein. Also, there is something called like the Burnham Plan for Chicago that wasn't published until 1909. But his vision that he put down in paper in that and published in that was integral to the look and feel of the World's Fair which was just that it called for among many other things like widened streets wild spaces parks the railroad new harbor facilities and civic buildings a huge 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 thing about burnham chicago was that the access to the lakefront and to the river walk but his quote specifically is about the lakefront I'll just read his quote. It says, The lakefront by right belongs to the people. Not a foot of its shores should be appropriated to the exclusion of the people. So his whole thing is that the lakeshore and the the river shore should be public space and should be treated and adorned as such. So other things that the Burnham plan kind of led to were the bridges over the Chicago River, the development of wide boulevards like i said widened streets like bull like logan boulevard which you talked to talk about on a little locals episode for example and so if you're not if you're listening to this then you're not from chicago <laughs> sorry um that we keep talking about chicago and how much we love it i'm not sorry though in 2016 the chicago river walk was completed as part of the city's literally they called the initiative building on burnham because his whole vision was that the lakefront and the river should be public and should have shit to do on them so it it did what it set out to do in changing people's perspectives of chicago as well the fair did um there's oh sorry no go for it because i know you have a lot of i know you i know you love our boy burnham (laughs) burnham make no little plans um so here's one of the cool things is like he is as responsible for whacker being the way that whacker is 
uh, Chicago would not have three levels along the riverfront had not been for Burnham. And it was I was just going to throw a quick plug for when it is safe to start going visiting places again. If you ever go to the uh, Chicago Architecture Center, they have scaled down the city uh, and they play this video and will take you through the history of the Chicago architecture and how Burnham built into it uh, through different light displays of what's going on in the city at any given time. It like it highlights the uh, the plan of like the boulevard plan. You can actually see on the full scaled out version of Chicago how far the fire actually hit outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like it's it, it's wild, it's wonderful, and the exhibit will maybe take you you'd be in and out of Chicago Architecture Center within like thirty minutes to an hour. But I highly recommend it. It's super affordable uh, and. Uh, when when one feels safe, I I would say go check it out. Since we're plugging things related to just cool architecture, Burnhamy things, and this is something that you can visit not now because it's cold as shit, but you can even if we're still socially distancing in the summer. And that is if you have you ever heard Jim of Wild Mile? You heard of the Wild? Why are you Mile? asking Jim? Why have you heard? Why, why? Because I you haven't heard of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> So Wait, the, you guys are in the Midwest? What? The, what? Where are we? Uh, the Wild Mile is a mile-long stretch of the North Branch Canal, and they're reclaiming it as the Wild Mile. And I, it's not very Burnham-y, but it is because it's basically this unusable section or like previously unused section of the river mm-hmm. that they are turning into a floating eco-park. So they're having these floating gardens their goal is to create like this like public open space to the community that i don't know if it's a community garden but it's just going to be like this like open garden that's floating my animation company the banditry code did a like help them with like a video for something and it's it's really cool and you can see it it's kind of by goose island so you can uh you can kayak by it like floating trees and shit it's gonna be gorgeous they also at some point developed a like robot so like Cass, you and du moines even could go in and control that and they gamified basically cleaning litter out of the river because you could control this little robot and go collect litter oh that's cool yeah i don't know if that still is is happening but that was something oh i was gonna say because everyone should jump on and start cleaning yeah it's just really cool. We we hadn't seen it in a minute. We went out on a boat this past summer. It's a little off the beaten path of where people normally are mm. running around on the river. But yeah, uh, long story short, the fair did what it set out to do. And people's perspective on Chicago was raised based on it. There's a quote from a Scottish travel writer, James Fullerton Muirhead, who wrote, since 1893, Chicago ought never to be mentioned as Porkopolis without a simultaneous reference to the fact that it was also the creator of the White City with its court of honor, perhaps the most flawless and fairy-like creation on a large scale of man's invention. People don't talk about the fact that the fire gave them the opportunity to rebuild the city the way that they wanted it because like the phoenix from the ashes well not even that the the city wasn't working for the way the city was growing anymore mm-hmm. and so as devastating as the fire was it gave them a clean slate to yeah. put things into place and like jim said that to like build it 
better and yeah. with like newer technology that would last more. Well, and it's why if you go through New York, New York doesn't have alleyways. That's why all their trash is on the street. So like yeah. even like small things like that. Yeah. Not to knock New York, although, you know, it's a second city, so ours got built better. Uh, it's it's a matter of it, a lot of those East Coast cities don't have that ability or like how Boston, their streets are very, very, very narrow. Speaking of city planning, that's another actual legacy pretty much of the Chicago World's Fair is that Daniel Burnham was essentially the first urban planner. So speaking of just Burnham and buildings and stuff, uh, I will say the Art Institute was part of the fair, but wasn't actually on the fairgrounds. Correct. Uh, It was an auxiliary building used for like international conferences. But a fun Frank Lloyd Wright thing. There's a famous Frank Lloyd Wright house called the DeCaro House in Oak Park that has an original uh, ticket booth from the fair that is just like in the side yard being used as a garden shed. Yeah, like you do. Like you do. There's a bunch of other things that are like still around and standing. There's obviously the Museum of Science and Industry we talked about was the, that's the only major building from the fair still standing. Is basically it this Museum of Science and Industry was basically the art institute of the fair. It was the Palace of Fine Arts. If you're visiting Chicago and you go to the backside of the Museum of Science and Industry, the part that overlooks the Jackson Park Lagoon, that was the front of the building during the fair. A lot of the lights that we talk that we talked about, the light posts, not Westinghouse's original bulbs, uh, but they still illuminate the museum campus. The other building that I mentioned that I was like, are you talking about the hospital when Jim was talking about buildings? And also to go with the conversation about the Nina the Pinta and the Santa Maria, also constructed by the government of Spain, there was a replica of the monastery, the La Rabida Monastery, where Columbus filled for two years prior to his voyage when he was waiting for Queen Isabel to like give him that money and to say, yes, you can go look for some spices. After the fair, the Spanish consulate donated that building to the city of Chicago to serve as a fresh air sanitarium for sick children. And the original building burnt down because Chicago in 1922. <laughs> but today, Wait, in 1922, in 1922, the yeah, original is- building burnt down. But there's there is still a La Rabida's Children's Hospital, which is a pediatric hospital that is specifically for like children with like long term medical conditions, and it's built, I think, on the exact same site. Speaking of the going back to the Ferris wheel, the Ferris wheel is not in Chicago anymore. It no, it was, it doesn't exist anymore. It went on tour. It went to St. Louis for the 1904 World's Fair. Uh, and then it toured around. And then uh, I guess I think before it went to St. Louis, it was just chilling on the north side of Chicago for a bit. And it then, was a big fat phony. Nobody wanted to write it when it was in Chicago. Oh my god! <laughs> well, because what were you looking at, St. Louis? No, but it went it went around and then was sold for scrap. Although there are uh, there was an article in the Tribune from 2004 called "The Remnants of the White City," and they said that there are scuba divers in the city who insist that there are remnants of the Ferris wheel in the lake. Uh, Which makes me want to go scuba diving in Lake Michigan to see what the hell is down there. Right? Go out by uh, Miggs Field, now now Northerly Island, because that's where it would be. Also a remnant of the Ferris wheel when they went to go put in the 
ice skating rink in the in Grant Park. They found like basically the old the big foundation concrete foundation supports or whatever of when they broke ground for that they were digging out for that. Basically, overall, what we can agree is that the 1893 Chicago Columbian Exhibition was a resounding success, minus the murder, minus the various uh, uh, indigenous snubs, and you know, yeah, not great things that happened. But they're not great things that happened. But there are also like great things that happened. There are also great things. That Let's happened. focus on the impact on the women's movement and the women's suffrage movement that it had. There's, there's one thing and green With space all- in the city. Yeah, with all great things, there's going to be some backslides. And with all bad things, there's going to be some silver lining. With all 1800s things, there's going to be... It's going to be terrific horror. But if we're going to look, as far as 1800 things in in Chicago especially... It wasn't the worst. This was pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) We were drunk. We were drunk and eating hamburgers and squashing pennies. What more (laughs) could you ask for? And there's there's so much more. If you want to look at pictures of a murder castle, uh, no. (laughs) The uh, I'll post I'll post a picture of the floor plan of the murder castle for sure. But as always, you can find oodles and oodles of visual aids. I'm sure there will be a bounty for this episode you can find those on our twitter and our instagram at shared pod on both of those if you have any questions corrections or suggestions about anything we talked about on the show anything you want to hear us talk about uh email us at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com we love to hear from you uh we respond to you we love you and natalie mentioned earlier one of our our little local patreon episodes if you go to patreon.com slash arcade audio. You can subscribe, become a Patreon member and get all of our bonus content. I believe and there's can... a bunch and that'll, that'll tide you over until, because this is the season finale y'all that'll tide you over until season four, I hope. But if that's, if that's not enough to tide you over, I have a question for our guest, Jim. Hey. What's been getting you through it all? Oh my God. God, that's very open uh, Where would you uh, where would you send uh, our listeners? What's something that you've watched or read and enjoyed that you that if they need, you know, something to cling to until we come back with season 4, what's something that you would recommend that you've oh really loved in these unprecedented times goodness uh, i'm gonna give you a quick rundown of some cool things to see depending on what you're able to see non-historical fun one of the best written shows i think of the year a ton of heart ted lasso i would give it a chance uh it is smart it is funny loads of heart i like uh, that you have to say i would give it a chance because apple is trash at promoting their own shows <laughs> Honestly, I think one of the smartest, best written shows of 2020. Really? Okay. 100%. You heard it here uh, first, and friends. You'll, you'll feel things and laugh, and it's incredible. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, Mandalorian, obviously, with the child. And then uh, I'm just getting into Lovecraft County, which is incredible. Other than that, there's some great documentaries out there. And uh, if you're looking for something to kind of pique your your historic and uh chicago brain uh dig into pbs they've got some really cool content that's true speaking of like older youtube i really miss pbs idea channel that's not even older youtube that's like late 2010s i think 
but I loved that. All good recommendations. I just started Lovecraft Country. Highly recommend. Gosh, we'll we'll miss you so, everyone, but we will be back soon. And until next season, share Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.